Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session, and instructions will follow at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. At this time, I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you very much, Andrea, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Connect Education Workshop, and today's program is titled Coping with the Stress of Caregiving When Your Loved One Has Polycythemia Vera. And this is part two of a two-part series of Living with Polycythemia Vera. And we have a wonderful program today, and actually um, this is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care and many other cancer organizations, including the MPN Education Foundation and the MPN Research Foundation, and the entire MPN Coalition as well. Now, um, we have on the call today over 357 participants, and that is because of the collaboration and your interest in the program today, Ashley. We're delighted to have so many of you on the call today. And you come from all over the United States, and we also have international participants from Canada, Turkey, and the United Kingdom. So you really are an international group as well. Um, so um, it's a bit of a global call, which is always very interesting as well to all of you. And today's program was supported by an unrestricted educational grant from Insight. And I really want to thank them for the support of this program, this two-part series on uh, polycythemia vera, um, and also the, um, the series that we've just completed on um, living with myeloproliferative neoplasms, um, actually, which will um, actually will be completed on April 13th, um, which is actually on our coping with um, uh, the role of nutrition, exercise, and meditation in, in coping with myeloproliferative neoplasms. So some of you have signed up for that one as well, which is on Wednesday, but if you haven't, feel free to do so. Now, we have wonderful speakers today. I want to begin by introducing our first speaker. Um, and our first speaker today is Dr. Christina Gowan. And Dr. Gowan is um, a hematologist and medical oncologist, integrative medicine specialist, Salish Integrative Oncology Care Center, research collaborator, Mayo Clinic Cancer Center, adjunct faculty, College of Health Promotion and Wellness, Arizona State University. And Dr. Gowan is going to address caring for your loved one with polycythemia vera, the important role of caregivers, and helping your loved one recognize what to report to the healthcare team and how to make the most of doctor's visits. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to Dr. Gowan. Well, thank you so, so much for that lovely introduction, Dr. Mesner, and, and really thank you everyone for joining us today on this very important teleconference. Now, as Dr. Mesner stated, I am a hematologist and medical oncologist, but what I hope to bring to today's teleconference is not only my experience as a doctor treating NPN patients, but also my experience on the other side as a caregiver. In 2012, I was a primary caregiver for a loved one during their battle with cancer. And although each of our journeys are truly unique, my view and my understanding of the caregiver's role was changed from that experience forever. And what I learned is that caregiving truly can be an enormously stressful event. And above all, I want to emphasize the importance of self-care while you're fulfilling this important role. So caregiving for polycythemia truly can be challenging. It's a rare disorder. And because of this, you may have less support from friends, from your family, and from your surrounding community, given their lack of knowledge of the disease itself and their lack of knowledge of the potential impacts the disease can have on a patient and the caregivers. Polycythemia also is a chronic disease, and often the role of caregiving is lifelong. And this can lead to caregiver fatigue. Additionally, the symptoms of polycythemia vera are very diverse, and it can be very difficult to understand the complexities of the illness. It's for these reasons it's essential to be proactive in getting the support and the education you need to manage this important role effectively. You clearly are on the right path already as you're participating in today's teleconference. So let's take a moment to appreciate all that you do for your loved one and step back and recognize the importance of your role. As a caregiver, you are a listener, 
an educator, an empathizer, a supporter, and more. So let's expand on each of these roles in more detail. As a listener, it is your job to be present with your loved one, to listen to their feelings and to their symptoms, and to be that extra set of ears at the office visits and try to take in all of that information that may be missed by your loved one. As a caregiver, you are an educator. It is your job to arm yourself with knowledge, just as you are in today's teleconference, and share these insights with your loved one and or your family members. As a caregiver, you are an empathizer. You can understand that living with polycythemia vera can be tough, and it's associated with many different symptoms. It's important to be patient on the tough days and to be supportive. As a supporter, you may need to step in and help with those household chores, with shopping and meal preparation. And it's important to recognize that fatigue and polycythemia vera may be debilitating. And often the caregiver will have to take on more of these types of household roles. It's important to understand the experience of fatigue within polycythemia vera is very different for each patient. Some patients may feel fatigue consistently, while others may have good days and bad days. And it's the role of the caregiver to be sensitive to this and respond accordingly, picking up the slack when needed. Sometimes when symptoms are debilitating and the patient's unable to work, it's the caregiver's role to be a financial supporter as well. Another potential role is that of a facilitator. As a caregiver, you can be the liaison between the loved one and the primary treating provider. Due to our limited time today, I will not address this in detail but understanding the symptoms and when to report to your healthcare team is very important. What I can do is refer you to the podcast of the March 30th call in which we talk about the NPN-associated symptoms and when to contact your healthcare team. And that's under the podcast called Managing Aches and Pains, where myself and Dr. Gabriella Hobbs really elaborate on this issue further, and that may be a helpful resource for you. What I can make mention of today are urgent reasons to contact the healthcare team, and that includes chest pain, shortness of breath, redness or swelling of the legs, as this may indicate a blood clot and really should be evaluated emergently. What can be extremely helpful in being an efficient liaison and making the most of your doctor appointment is to keep a symptom diary and a list of questions that have come up from your last loved one's visit. It can be overwhelming for patients to recall the complexities of the symptoms, particularly dealing with issues of mood, and as a caregiver, you can offer a different perspective for the patient and the provider. So keeping a diary and making notes of moods, of symptoms, appetite, and lifestyle habits truly can be beneficial for all. So we discussed a few of the potential roles and the demands of a caregiver. I know most of you already know these roles that you're playing, but it's sometimes helpful to again step back and take stock of all that you're already doing and acknowledge how important your role is. Caregiving is an enormous responsibility, responsibility, but also truly a unique privilege to perform this. You undoubtedly will become closer with your loved one, and it's an opportunity to show them how much you care for them. But it can also take its toll on you emotionally and physically if you are not mindful of the stress involved, and it's essential to take the proper steps to care for yourself. 
This includes eating well, sleeping well, getting regular exercise, and importantly, finding and cultivating joy in your life, whatever mechanism works best for you. From my own personal experience being a caregiver, it truly is one of the most rewarding and yet challenging experiences you can have in life. So thank you so much for Carolyn for allowing me to have the opportunity to speak on this really important issue today. And I turn the call back to you and our other speakers. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Gowan. That was really outstanding and excellent and really set the stage for today's program. And I think it really helped people to know that you yourself had had experience with caregiving as well, so that actually um, what that experience was like and how you um, and all the uh, suggestions you've made for people in terms of what uh, the important role that caregivers do play. And now our next speaker is uh, Dr. Allison Applebaum. And Dr. Applebaum is Assistant Attending Psychologist, Director Caregivers Clinic, Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. And Dr. Applebaum is going to address taking on the role of caregiving, what research tells us about caregivers, and self-care and stress management tips. So it's now my great pleasure to turn this program over to Dr. Applebaum. Thank you so much, Dr. Mester. Um, it's such an honor to be here today um, and to be speaking to you all about this important role. Um, I think that Dr. Gowan said it incredibly beautifully um, and appropriately by saying that the role of a caregiver is multidimensional, multifaceted. You all are listeners and educators and empathizers and facilitators, um, all, of which are an important, all of which are important roles and responsibilities, but certainly can be overwhelming at times. So um, I want to take some time to speak a little bit about what research tells us about caregivers, and then I want to go through some important self-care strategies that can help you to stay healthy while you're fulfilling this demanding role. Um, so first, who are caregivers? Um, the reality is that all of us, we are caregivers um, at some point in our lives. We all were, we all are, we all will be caregivers. We're not alone in this role. Um, just statistically speaking, the World Health Organization estimates that approximately 8% of the global population is dependent on others for care. Um, and in the United States, about one in every three households has a caregiver. Um, and that translated back in 2009 to about 4.6 million Americans who are providing care to patients with cancer. Now, caregivers are predominantly female, though it doesn't mean that men aren't often in these roles. And they're often providing care to partners or parents. And I think really importantly to mention is that oftentimes up to one-third of caregivers are providing care to two or more people at one time, so balancing these multiple roles in many different scenarios. Um, what do caregivers do? I, I think caregiver, the, the question should really be, what do they not do? Um, caregiving is, for many, a full-time job. Um, and, and we can think about the different elements of this job um, in, in four categories. And the first is, is in terms of instrumental support, helping with activities of daily living, all the things that Dr. Gowan mentioned in terms of assisting patients. Um, and these can range from taking up just a few hours a day or taking up a lot of time, but certainly um, helping, helping with everything from dressing and meal preparation to transportation and medication management, attending doctor's appointments, being that other set of eyes and ears in the treatment room. These are all critical components of instrumental support. Um, a second component of, of the caregiver role is emotional support, and oftentimes this is overlooked. But caregivers are oftentimes the primary source of emotional support for patients, but at the same time are in great need for their own emotional support and may not actually be getting the support they once received from their loved one who's the patient. Um, so emotional support is a critical area. Um, importantly, on average, caregivers provide care for about 8.3 hours a day over 13.7 months. That's a, that's a large amount of time. That's a huge time commitment. This is a full-time job. But importantly, up to one-third of caregivers are providing care for five or more years. This is a chronic role as well. And for many of you, you've likely been in this role for decades. Um, Recently, the annual economic value, that is, that is the, the value of the efforts of caregivers across the country, was estimated at $375 billion. So your efforts 
are significant. You make up the largest, and from my perspective, I'm sure everyone on this call, um, the most important growing element of our healthcare system today because you play a critical role. Now, because you play this critical role, it's very, very important to make sure that you're able to do so. What we know is because of all of the demands of caregiving, the majority of caregivers at some point in the trajectory will experience what we call caregiver burden. Caregiver burden, this is a multidimensional construct. It refers, to, it refers to all the many ways in which the caregiving role can potentially negatively impact the caregiver. So first, there's, there's a psychological component. Um, and importantly, what we know is that rates of diagnostic levels of anxiety and depression, these are higher among caregivers than among patients themselves. This is very common. Many caregivers will experience anxiety, and this can be manifest as worry or rumination, thoughts that don't seem to stop, um, insomnia that is very often associated with this worry, as well as physical symptoms such as stomach problems or headaches or tension in the neck. Caregivers are also prone to depression. This can, this can present as sadness, feelings of hopelessness, difficulty concentrating, general fatigue, uh, as well as poor health behaviors like not taking care of yourself in terms of getting enough sleep, not getting enough exercise, perhaps drinking a little bit more than, than you should be or, or smoking, um, and in very severe cases, feeling so hopeless about the future that you start to think, think that life might not uh, be worth living in, in severe cases. So there's a psychological component to burden. Um, but, but unfortunately, too, burden is felt physically by many caregivers, and it's important to say that all of you must take care of your bodies. We know that caregivers are at significant risk for medical problems such as cardiovascular disease, um, poor immune functioning, uh, fatigue and sleep difficulties, and, and even higher rates of mortality. And so it's really, really critical as you are taking care of your loved one that you're also taking care of yourselves. This burden has three more components. There's the financial component. I'm sure many of you are feeling this. You may no longer be able to work full time or it's, or it's hard to, to make the money that you used to. There's also the demands that, that um, the role takes and the financial responsibilities endemic to um, the treatment of one's illness, of one, one's loved one's illness. Um, there's, a, there's a time demand, a temporal demand. And then there's a final component that I think is very often overlooked, but something that I focus on, which is the existential component of burden. This is the component of burden that attends to the bigger questions that come up for all of us who are caregivers. For example, who am I? Issues around identity. I used to work full time and now I'm not. My relationship with my husband has changed now that I'm taking care of him. So questions about one's identity now that one is a caregiver and the extent to which that caregiving role has taken over one's identity. Um, another component of existential burden are feelings of guilt. I would say that um, one of the chief complaints of patients in my clinic, and my clinic is, is primarily just for cancer caregivers here at Sloan Kettering, is guilt. Uh, my patients feel guilty that they're taking the time to come to therapy. Um, and this is an existential concern to be worthy of care. Um, and to be taking care of oneself while taking care of one's loved one. Um, and certainly existential co concerns come up around fears of illness progression. And so these should also be taken note of. What we know is that when distress is not treated, it will increase as one continues to provide care from diagnosis and treatment um, through, the, through the illness trajectory. And so what that means for all of you on this phone is that distress and any concerns you have around the negative ways in which the caregiving role may be impacting you need to be addressed as soon as possible. Um, and so I want to speak very briefly about some self-care and stress management techniques. Um, again, let me emphasize, you are a critical member of the treatment team. I think that, that Dr. Gowan really, really said it well by acknowledging your role in that treatment room and communication and listening and taking notes and understanding what's happening. But if you're not able to take care of yourself and you're not feeling well, you're not going to be able to take care of your loved one and you're not going to be able to fulfill this role. So it's critical to take care of yourself. It's very, very important to find the courage, and, and I do use the word courage, to ask for help. 
It's important to acknowledge that this job is hard. I don't know anyone who has been a caregiver and has said that it's easy. Um, it's okay to have a hard time. It's okay to acknowledge that you need help. Um, and it's okay to acknowledge that you may not always be able to do this role um, in the way that you would like. Um, it's important to recognize the signs and symptoms of burden. So for example, if you notice that you're more tired than usual, you're starting to have more headaches or physical symptoms like stomach aches, or for example, if you're finding that you're not exercising, you're not engaging socially, these are all signs and symptoms of burden and reasons why you should seek professional help. Um, certainly, it's important to, to get education, to join in lectures like the one that you're doing right now. This is a phenomenal opportunity. But it's also important to have one-on-one -on -one possibly or even group support for yourself so that you could be taken care of, take, take care of your body and taking care of your mind. It's really important that you allow yourself to take breaks, whether those breaks are five minutes or five hours, or maybe even five days on occasion. If you don't take breaks, it's going to be very, very difficult to continue to do this role well. I think it's also important to recognize your own limitations, that everyone on this call, I, I think everyone on this call is human. Um, and, and what that means is that we all have limitations. And there are going to be some days when we have a hard time with the caregiving role, and we might not be able to do everything that we would like, and that's okay. Um, and finally, I think uh, Dr. Gowan alluded to this, it's really, really wonderful if you can, while you are in this role, while you're challenged by all of the limitations you may be experiencing, at the same time, providing care for a loved one is a phenomenal opportunity to find meaning, a sense of purpose, and to experience growth. I'm guessing that many of you have learned that you have great strengths that you may not have been aware of before becoming a caregiver. You may have learned things about yourself that you never knew. And so I encourage all of you in your self-care to not only focus on the potential symptoms you may be feeling, but also to honor all of the good things that you're getting out of this role. So I hope that this has been helpful for you, and I'm looking forward to a rich discussion at the end. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Applebaum. That was really outstanding. And really very informative in terms of all the different issues and our concerns and then the self-care and um, the self the self-care is so important and all the suggestions you've made i know there'll be questions or comments to you during the q a thank you so much and our next speaker is dr guadalupe palos dr palos is an actually an oncology nurse oncology social worker and a doctor of public health she's a clinical research manager division of medical affairs department of cancer survivorship the university of texas md anderson cancer center and dr palos is going to address coping with holidays special occasions anniversaries and birthdays managing family friends partners and traditions planning ahead lead time and refilling prescriptions weekends, travel, and holidays. So all the kinds of things that can happen along the way here. So I'm going to turn this program over to Dr. Palos now. Good afternoon, and thank you, Carolyn, for the opportunity to be involved in this call about a topic that's not always readily recognized as the blood cancer. PB is a unique disease for three reasons. One, it's a chronic disease. Two, the primary focus is to manage symptoms and decrease the risk of complications. And three, it's a disease that is somewhat underground. That is, the general public is not as familiar with PB as it is with other blood cancers, such as leukemia, Hodgkin's, and others. The uniqueness of PV calls for patients and their caregivers to be innovators in dealing with the complications related to this condition. And you heard a little bit about it earlier with our first uh, speaker. Uh, the complications may include headaches, fatigue, itching, discoloration sometimes of certain areas like your palms, the earlobes, the nose, and the cheeks. Sometimes a burning sensation in the feet or inflammation of the joints and other non-traditional effects of cancer or, or its treatment. Thus, a caregiver's role includes being quite knowledgeable about how to manage or recognize these signs and symptoms and the complications that are related to the disease itself or to the unique treatments that come along with it. Other members of our panel have addressed the critical role of caregivers in helping patients manage some of these conditions, and particularly how to help with their, um, the stress that's associated with being the caregiver of someone with um, PV. Dr. Gowan gave, uh, gave an excellent overview of the importance of caring for a loved one with PV. Dr. Applebaum discussed the 
findings from research that indicates the burden that caregivers encounter when caring for a loved one with PV. And I know Ms. O'Brien is going to provide key tips on long-distance caregiving and resources available to caregivers. But we also need to know how we, as caregivers, can manage care during special events such as birthdays. How do we maintain treasured traditions while continuing to provide effective care? And how do we minimize disruptions when we're trying to refill medications or get to appointments? And how important planning ahead is when we're trying to deal with all these things. And for those of you who are providers, as providers, we must understand the impact PV has on families during these special events and support them during these times. So for the next few moments, I'll briefly address these points in my discussion. I'm also going to touch on strategies that patients and caregivers can use to be proactive in asking specific questions on how to support their loved one in dealing with this condition. One thing that repeatedly comes up when meeting with patients and caregivers with all types of backgrounds, is how confusing it is to keep track of all the medications and activities needed when caring for a loved one with PV. For example, it's confusing to remember which medications are to be given when the platelet counts are too high, what type of antihistamines are needed for the itching, which meds will manage heartburn or the upset stomach that often comes with aspirin therapy. And as we heard, caregivers may often feel that they must try to maintain many roles, goes back to that multidimensional role that we heard about earlier, at one time and yet still have a normal life. This becomes particularly important when it's time to celebrate special times and maintain meaningful family or cultural tradition, traditions. But how does a caregiver keep up with the special events and wonderful traditions their families have always associated with normal living? Caregivers and their families often find themselves struggling to keep up with these activities when a loved one is diagnosed with cancer and, and again, with dealing with all the chronicity of PV. So let's first talk a little bit about how to cope with the holidays and the special events. First, you and your family, this is a beautiful time to now create new traditions. Even if you cannot be there in person for some of these activities the way you may have been in the past, try to establish new traditions that you can have and share and, and keep to, for memories in, in the future. For example, if your role was to be the family event planner, say that you were the king or queen chef, this is a good time to share that role or to hand over the torch to another member of the family. Remember, it can be especially str um, stressful trying to be the event planner, the cook, the navigator, and as well as the caregiver during all these times. So this is one tradition that you can establish, the tradition of handing this role over to someone else in the family so they can maintain and keep on that tradition for the entire family. Second, you and your family can prepare your own video clips of past holidays. Try to put them together, even from pictures. You can give us snapshots of memories from the past and share them with your loved one. So even if you do not get to do the full celebration like you had before, you have those special memories and you're able to connect with them through these photos and video clips that you can um, start. Again, another new tradition that well, you can have it also for the future. Third, if you really can't travel to family celebrations, set up a web camera so you can actually see your loved one or talk to them. Skype is an awesome way to keep in touch with a loved one across the miles. And communication such as this gives you an opportunity to be present and to be a part of the celebration. As someone who is not very techy-savvy, uh, techy I was able to see how easy this can be last Friday at a special event for my family. We were celebrating a ring ceremony for one of my nieces who is uh, going to a college, and some of our members could not be there. And we have so many smartphones around all the time. So around the table, we were able to use that and actually bring that person into our loved one, into the celebration. So even though they weren't there at the actual ring ceremony or at the supper afterwards, they were able to see bits and pieces of it and still be connected. So that's an easy way. And if you're not techie-save, as some of us are not, I can really guarantee that someone in that room will be able to help you do that with, with telephones and um, iPads and things of that nature. During holiday celebrations and uh, medical emergencies, and sometimes even natural disasters, can occur. So be prepared for those type of unexpected situations. 
For example, it's always good to know where your closest emergency room center is located, particularly if you're traveling. Find out what types of services are provided by the ER. For example, are they prepared to care for your loved one, particularly if you're going to rural areas or areas that are not um, in the midst of a, of a medical center. Um, ask about insurance coverage and other specific details about obtaining services. And be sure to ask about the types of documents that will be needed if any hospitalization is necessary. It's also good to keep a log book where you can record your loved one's medical history, the list of allergies, current medications, contact information for the primary oncology or cancer center. And equally important is if you do have conversations with providers outside of your normal team, try to keep track or records of those too. And that log book is a, a really good place to be able to document that and have everything together. Keep track of who you spoke to, when you spoke to them, and what the outcome was. We always think we're going to remember all these details, but it's very hard to when it's really a stressful situation. Speak with your team and find out how to contact them or others during times when you may be away from your home. It's challenging to contact our family and trusted health care members during the special times or in times of crisis. Having this information ahead of time will be quite beneficial. So now let's talk about the lead time needing, needed in refilling prescriptions for like weekends for travel or holiday. Remember, it's always important to follow the schedule, dose, and care current medication as prescribed. So there's many different ways to keep track of the schedule. We talked a little bit about some of those techie strategies. So you can set alarms on electronic um, devices like your watch, your smartphone, your computer, or your iPad. If you're not the tech type and prefer written aids, make a poster of your, made, of your meds. Color code them to indicate purpose. Note the time, the dose, and how to take the medication. For example, is it by mouth? Do you swallow it? Is it by mouth and do you dissolve it? Is it, you know, what other ways can you take? Is it a patch that you just leave on the skin? It's helpful to have all that because remember, there may be a time when you as the primary caregiver may not be there, and we cannot take it for granted that everyone knows how to give a medication all the time. There's also many different ways to keep uh, medications organized. For example, you can use the pill containers by the day or the week. And of course, that method is going to depend on your preferences and your needs. These methods sometimes may also be helpful to you in your work setting. Some of you may be thinking, oh, that sounds like a lot of work again. And yes, it may be, but if you do it up front, it will minimize the risks of missed doses, incorrect meds being taken, or pills not being available when needed. Now let's continue with some of the tips. Learn the importance of planning ahead of time. That is, have some lead time whenever a holiday, weekend, or travel is scheduled. Travel can be a 40-minute drive to a daughter's or a son's for an afternoon, or it could be a five-hour flight or you know, a whole 24-hour flight. So here are a few tips to, prepare, um, to help you to prepare for the trip. Keep a schedule of when refills are due. This is very important and helps minimize the risk of being in another state or country and running out of medications. Carry a small carry-on bag with all the medications either stored in the prescription container or in their original bottles, depending on the length of the trip and the route of transportation. Keep a small index card in your wallet or a family member's wallet, as well as the, your loved one's wallet, the patient's wallet, that's listing all of the medications, the dosages, the time to be taken, and how to be taken. On the back of that index card, write down the names and contact information of the physicians and other team members who are prescribing the medications or know what the medications may be for your loved one. The pharmacy where the medications are obtained is also very useful, and of course the telephone number. And then include the emergency information for each provider and, for, uh, and the pharmacy. You can also ask your physician to write a letter stating that he or she has prescribed the following medications and have a list of the medications. It's also good to make copies of the letter and give one to each of the uh, caregivers or each of the family members. Again, it's also helpful to communicate with your pharmacist. They are so key in uh, trying to keep all the information together. Ask about the pharmacy's policies regarding refills if you lose your meds or run out of your pills while out of town. Some pharmacies will provide enough refills to last until you get back home or until they've been able to reach their, um, your prescribing physician. And again, as I mentioned, be sure and keep that medication with you whenever you're flying. And you may also want to um, 
show it to the security folks when you're going through that security gate because it's good for them to know that you have these medications and you don't want to be parted for them and you certainly don't want to lose them as they're going through those machines. So last but most important lesson, I believe, in all of this is to maintain regular and open communication between your prescribing provider, the pharmacy, the caregivers, and the patient. For example, the patient or caregiver may inform the team about methods they are use, using to help maintain their medication schedule. Because sometimes that team can also use that information to share with others. And I'm sure many of you on this call today have your own ideas and ways of maintaining the schedule and keeping track of all the medications. Be sure and talk to the team about the type of side effects the patient has experienced when taking certain medications or the interactions. Ask about the dangers related to taking multiple medications. So should they all be taken at one time? Should some be taken together and others later? Should, um, should some of these medications be taken with food or without food? Remember, each individual is unique in their response to different medications. So the answer to these questions will be tailored to meet the specific needs of your loved one and, and the care you're providing to them. So my final me message to share is this. Whether you're the patient, the caregiver, and even the provider, be good to yourself. Keep tabs on your own physical and mental health. And we certainly heard a lot about that by our earlier um, speakers. It's very, very important because if you keep hearing it from each each of us as the speakers, then it's telling you this is an important thing to do. Take care of yourself. Schedule time for yourself to relax. Read a book, take a nap, go for a walk, try some yoga, meditate, journal, or just sit there and just give yourself a moment. That's that mindfulness. Remind yourself that by taking care of your own health, you and the person you are caring for will reap the benefits of, be, of you being a healthy caregiver. So perhaps some of our listeners can share how they maintain their own treasure tra traditions, their own celebrations, and their holidays. Thank you for allowing me to share these thoughts with you. Carolyn, this concludes my remarks. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Pavlos. That was excellent. And indeed, during the next part after um, Ms. O'Brien speaks, we are going to open it to questions. So get your questions ready. But we also, as Dr. Pavlos has suggested, we will be often open very much to your thoughts of what has helped you to cope um, as a caregiver. So that would be really helpful to hear as well. So um, start thinking about that now. And our, so thank you very much, Dr. Palos. That was really excellent. And our next speaker is Ms. Carly O'Brien. And Ms. O'Brien is an oncology social worker, and she is our caregiver program coordinator at Cancer Care. And Ms. O'Brien is going to address the issue of the long-distance caregiving, um, Cancer Care's free psychosocial programs and services, and the role of support groups. It's my pleasure now to turn this program today over to Ms. O'Brien. Thank you so much, Carolyn. I'm so happy to be part of this call today with such great speakers and such an important topic. Um, there are a lot of caregivers out there who are providing care for or supporting a loved one with cancer from a long distance. We're going to refer to them as long distance caregivers moving forward. So keep in mind that you can be a meaningful and really even an integral part of your loved one's experience with cancer, whether you live locally or are caring from a distance. Caregivers who aren't local to their loved ones can provide significant emotional support, a listening ear, and they can offer a real sense of camaraderie and social support for their loved one by phone, text, email, Skype. Today, technology is really an advantage and can help you to feel connected and in the loop. Staying in touch helps the patient to feel supported and can help the long distance caregiver feel like they're contributing and feel like they're being helpful. Sending care packages or letters can be a welcome surprise during times that you're not able to visit. And making a trip to spend time with your loved one when your schedule and finances allow can be restorative both for you and your loved one. As some others have mentioned already today, providing this type of emotional support is so important and is often as helpful to the patient as providing physical care. So it's important to keep this in mind. Long distance caregivers can also be much more involved within the medical context than they may think. They can help coordinate medical appointments, get to know the medical team, and advocate for their loved one's needs with things like benefits and insurance, really regardless of their physical location. You might want to ask the patient if they're comfortable having you on speakerphone during an important medical appointment, or maybe you're wanting to send them a list of questions that you have. 
they might be able to discuss these questions with their doctors and bring back the information to you that you might both find to be helpful. It's a good talking point. This can help you to feel involved, gets your questions answered. Also, it reminds the patient that you are invested and that you're there for them. Long-distance caregivers can also help to organize their loved one's local support network, which is also very important. So consider who you can delegate certain jobs to. Are there neighbors, other family or friends or community members who can help? Maybe they can provide transportation to a medical appointment here or there. Or maybe they'll deliver a meal that can be really helpful when somebody's feeling wiped out from treatment. You can also do some research. You can find out about different local workshops, counseling services, and support groups by searching online and by making some phone calls. This can help to ensure that your loved one has support even when you can't be there. Something to keep in mind when it comes to caregiving is that the needs and experiences of both patients and caregivers does tend to vary across the lifespan. Um, for example, if you're caring for a young adult with cancer, keep in mind that sometimes their deepest wish is for a sense of normalcy. They might want to talk about things other than cancer. Middle-aged individuals might have their adult children providing care. This can really create a role reversal and a whole new set of expectations and goals. And for someone who is elderly or an older adult, consider what their medical situation was prior to cancer. Really want to make sure that there is hands-on support available. A local senior center might have activities and support available. That can help both the patient and the caregiver. Lastly, this was also mentioned by a few of my colleagues on the call earlier today, um, long-distance caregivers especially often struggle with feelings of guilt. They tend to wish that they could do more for their loved ones. I'd encourage you all to remind yourself of all that you're doing rather than focusing only on what you can't do. Give yourself credit for all of the efforts that you're making. And check in with your loved one to see if they have any suggestions about how you can continue to be the most helpful to them. And like my co-presenter spoke of earlier, remember to take good care of yourself. Long-distance caregivers need support too, so reach out to a support group or contact a social worker to help you make the most meaning out of your caregiver experience. So we know that coping with cancer and caregiving are really unique and, and also tend to be isolating experiences. Support groups can really connect a group of people with similar experiences who understand what it's like to be impacted by cancer. This can really help to ease feelings of isolation, provides a safe and comfortable space to share information and to gain knowledge and insight. This kind of support tends to be different than the support that family or friends can provide. It's unbiased. You won't feel as though you have to censor your feelings. And this also sort of naturally takes away any worry about, and I'm putting this in air quotes, being a burden. We know that's something that a lot of caregivers tend to worry about, being a burden to other people in their lives. So these days, many organizations provide support groups in person as well as over the phone and online, making them more accessible than ever. Cancer Care provides a variety of support groups in each of these different modalities, so I'll talk to you a little bit more uh, in detail about them. So at Cancer Care, we offer online support groups. These take place using a password-protected message board format, so it's not a live chat, which leaves a lot of flexibility, um, which is really good for caregivers who have so much on their plates. And these are led by professional oncology social workers who offer support and guidance. These online groups are held for 15 weeks at a time. Group members must register to join. And they can participate by posting in the groups 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Again, super accessible and very flexible. Some of our online support groups are diagnosis specific, while others are more general. And our online support group team um, is, is managed by oncology social workers who will really help you to find the best fit. Cancer Care also has telephone support groups, which allows you to connect with other people from across the country who share similar concerns in a weekly, regularly scheduled one-hour session. Um, this is over the phone. Um, it's like a conference call, but again, it's password protected and professionally led. And then we also offer face-to-face -face support groups 
And these are held at our offices at Cancer Care in New York City, Long Island, New Jersey, and Connecticut. And if you don't live in those areas, that's okay. We'll always do our best to help you find face-to-face -face support groups in your own community. Keep in mind that Cancer Care is a national nonprofit organization staffed by licensed master's level oncology social workers, and all of our services are completely free of charge. We are experienced in helping people to manage the emotional, the physical, and the financial challenges that arise after a diagnosis and throughout the illness trajectory. In addition to the support groups that I mentioned, Cancer Care also offers individual counseling with a licensed social worker, educational resources like the Connect Education workshop that you're listening to right now, and we can also provide information about other resources that might be helpful, practical help, as well as some limited financial assistance. If you're interested in learning more about cancer care services or participating in a cancer care support group, please call our toll-free HOPE line at 1-800-813-4673 to speak with an oncology social worker, or visit our website at www.cancercare.org for more information. Although we might not be able to resolve all of the problems that you're facing every day, cancer care social workers can really walk with you through your experience while providing support, insight, and the ability to counsel you as you navigate so many different feelings. Many caregivers and people affected by cancer find this to be really reassuring and comforting and helps you to feel less alone. So again, call us at our toll-free HOPE line at 1-800-813-4673 or at www.cancercare.org for more information and support. Thank you all so much for your time and attention today, um, and I'll bring it back to Carolyn. Oh, thank you so much, Carly. That was really wonderful and actually very informative and really highlighting also the needs of long-distance caregiving, which is really a very important area and um, for which many people on the call today probably are long-distance caregivers. It's very rare in today's world to be living right next door to somebody or near someone that you love um, who actually um, you're taking care of. So it actually um, applies to so many people. Um, and now we have time for questions or comments about tips that helped you and, and your coping um, as a, as a, um, with the stress of caregiving. So I'm going to ask Andrea, she explained to all of you how to queue up for questions. I'm going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. And if we don't get to your question at the end of the call today, I will let you all know how to get further questions answered, even if it wasn't a question that you have today, but tomorrow or the next day or the next year, that we're always here for you. So I'm going to ask Andrea, though, to tell you. Let's try to take as many of your questions now as possible, though. Andrea? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then 1 on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking ask a question. Again, ladies and gentlemen, if you have a question at this time, please press star then 1. And we have a question um, actually from one of our online participants. Um, and so that question comes from um, Allison, and the question is, what tips can you provide to avoid burnout with my responsibilities as a caregiver? So that's probably a question that everybody could kind of weigh in on. So I'm going to ask um, everyone to say something about that. Um, it really is um, it's an excellent question and probably um, is a question that everyone kind of wonders about. Um, so I'm going to start with, um, I think, uh, Dr. Applebaum, if you would go first, and then um, we'll just, um, and then Dr. Palos. And Ms. O'Brien and, and Dr. Gowan, how's that? Okay. Sure. Um, so when I when I work with caregivers, I oftentimes frame the work I do by using the word prehab or prehabilitation, um, and this is the idea that we try to augment all of the various resources that caregivers have to help support them along the way. And what, we, what I mean by that is that we want to prevent burnout from happening as soon as possible. And so as early as possible, recognize what's working for you thus far. So for example, maybe you're the kind of person where you have a phenomenal social support network or you're really good at asking for help, but you may not be taking care of your body. And so recognize early on where your weaknesses may lie so that you can begin to take steps to prevent problems from happening in the future. So really, I, I would say it's, it's a preventative model. Prevent burnout as early as possible. And, and to think about when, when you're feeling well, why are you feeling well? What's, what's working for you? And pay attention to those things. Excellent. Thank you. That's 
very helpful. And um, Dr. Palos? Sure. Um, I think that's an important question. I think, first of all, that's what's very important is that as caregivers, we tend to lose patience with ourselves, and we forget to look at the positive um, strengths we have. So it's important to recognize your strengths and to remember you have those strengths. And it's good also to give yourself small little pep talks. Uh, I know sometimes people think, oh, that doesn't work, but you'd be surprised, you know, how even just having a little mantra for yourself, I can do this, I can do this, or I have done this, or I have succeeded. I mean, those kind of little things also make a difference when you're really feeling overwhelmed by everything. The other thing I want to uh, point out also is that there's a difference in the way men our caregivers and the way women are caregivers. And so I think we need to recognize that. I have found with um, the male caregivers that I've talked to and interviewed is they really want to have something hands-on. Give me a list of things to do. They're very much more action-oriented. And with women, and maybe that's, you know, again, uh, our society tends to see that, we tend to be more of listeners and more of the nurturers. So sometimes if there's a disconnect between what the expectations are of the caregiver and sometimes that can lead to impatience, it's good to remember that there are differences in how people are caregivers. Not everyone is going to give the same kind of care, and we need to recognize that. And I think that all of that also helps when you have those expectations kind of uh, tailored with, with some of those uh, recognitions, it helps to, to deal with some of those burdens you have to come across. Well, thank you. That's, that's very helpful. Thank you so much. And, um, and Ms. O'Brien. I would agree with everything that Dr. Applebaum and Dr. Palos have said. Um, there are also some really great resources that you can look into to help prevent and unfortunately sometimes manage distress and burnout when it happens. So there's a really great online resource um, called Help for Cancer Caregivers. Um, it's www.helpforcancercaregivers.org. Um, and it really gives you a lot of information about what are some of the warning signs of caregiver burnout, what causes caregiver burnout, how can I deal with it, sort of practical tips. So this is a really good online resource that's just a good reminder when sometimes we're having trouble in our own heads reaching for those skills or those tools. Sort of seeing it outside of ourselves in black and white can be really um, reassuring and, and helpful. I think talking about burnout and acknowledging it as a very real experience is so important too. So that's why we always say get support early on before you feel burned out to help you strategize ways of preventing that, um, whether it's an individual social worker or psychologist or joining a support group. Um, those things can be really helpful really from the get-go. So we would really encourage that as well. Excellent. Thank you. And Dr. Gowan. So the only thing I would like to add is that I think it's very important to develop your own kind of action plan for self-care. And within that action plan, to truly address all the aspects of you, your body, mind, and spirit. And so for your action plan, you know, identify what steps nutritionally are you going to do starting this week to be sure that you are as taken care of as possible. What kind of exercise things are you going to incorporate into your daily life? Are you going to start walking each day, even if it's for 10 minutes? What kind of things are you going to do to address your mind? Are you feeling depressed? Are you feeling anxious, which most caregivers are? And are you going to take steps towards addressing that aspect? Are you going to join a support group, see a therapist, start doing a daily practice, whether that be mindfulness or meditation? And then finally, addressing the aspect of spirit cultivating joy, cultivating connection, and whatever that means for you. And so I think we all talk about, you know, yes, we need to be incorporating this. You know it's important. But without really developing that action plan, a laid-out process of how you're going to be doing this and incorporating this into your already busy life, it's really hard to do. And so I, I truly encourage you to sit down, to write it out, and develop that self-care plan for you. And that will be good for you, but also for your loved one, because without you being well, you will not be your best for your loved one. Thank you. And we have our last light-breaking question 
from Daniel, when is it appropriate to stop caregiving? So again, I'm going to just ask everyone to just comment on that because it's such an important question. And um, so Dr. Gowan, do you want to go first on that one? <laughs> important when it to stop what, caregiving? So when is it appropriate to stop caregiving? I think that's a really good and important question and a brave question. And I think it's important to recognize when you have reached that point of burnout and you need to be reaching out for other members within the family or the community to support you. And so, and I think the, the true answer is you are the only person who knows when you've reached your limit and when your internal radar is saying that to listen and to, to make the steps necessary to reach out for help. Excellent. Thank you. And Dr. Applebaum? Um, absolutely. I, I think it's an incredibly courageous question, and it takes a lot of courage to recognize within ourselves when we've reached our limit. But it is time to stop when the costs on ourselves have become too great, um, when the benefits to, the, to our loved ones um, don't, can't outweigh those costs, and when we're hurting ourselves. And only we can know that. And so it really is very personal and very unique. But I think all of you will know when it's time, if it's time. You're going to hear that voice within yourself. Your gut instinct is going to say, this is, this is, this is unhealthy, um, and I need to stop. And that's okay. That's okay. Excellent. Thank you. And Dr. Palos? Well, the practical aspect of that question, which I think is an incredible question, it really has me thinking about it, is one way to know is when the person no longer needs to have the caregiver. So that's one, one solution to that question or one response. The other is exactly what our, my colleagues just post, um, posted here on the call. It's you know, to recognize when it is that you are just so exhausted and so finished that it's going to be best for everyone for you to say this this is enough and give a heads up to folks and you know try to make arrangements and plans to have someone else come in and fill those shoes um, and who knows you, I mean down the road you may decide okay I can do this again but when you recognize that it's time to say stop I agree with that thank you and Mr. Bryan I completely wholeheartedly agree with everything that my colleagues have said and many caregivers feel that caregiving is not a choice and I think we really all would want to encourage people to know that caregiving is a choice. There are always limits and always times where you might need to take a step back and I think it's really important that every caregiver gives themselves permission to ask What's in this for me? What am I getting out of this experience? And to really think about the impact that it's having on them and, and to say no when that's what feels right for them. Oh, I, thank you all. This has been an extraordinary call, I have to say. I know we could go on for much longer, but we this is an hour workshop, and I want to thank our speakers. You've been extraordinary. I want to thank all of you who've asked really such wonderful questions online. Those really wonderful questions that allowed our speakers to even elaborate even further. And I want to thank all of you who have been listening. Now, I want to first of all address that I know that you have other questions, and you may want to ask your questions. So I want to give you places to call for your other questions that you may have. If you have any medical questions around your, the treatment or questions about um, the treatment of, um, you know, uh, you know, the PV, um, I want you to call the National Cancer Institute at 1-800-422-6237. Again, 1-800-422-6237. And their staff are waiting your calls always after our program. So should you have any medical questions about the treatment of polycythemia there as a caregiver, that would be a wonderful place to call. On the other hand, if you have questions and just in terms of getting some practical help from cancer care or counseling services, whether it be to talk with one of our oncology social workers or join one of our telephone support groups or online groups, online support groups, I would definitely recommend that you call Cancer Care at 1-800-813-4673. Or should you wish to participate in another workshop they were offering or order one of our publications, again, you just simply go ahead and call Cancer Care. And for our international participants or for anyone who likes to use the website, you can also access the services by going to www.cancercare.org. I also remind all of you that we do have a program on April 13th 
on the role of nutrition, exercise, and meditation in coping with um, myeloproliferative neoplasms. And this program actually will also feature Dr. Gowan and actually will be very interesting to all of you because it will uh, address some of the kind of helpful ways of coping. It's for both people living with, uh, with myeloproliferative neoplasms as well as their caregivers. It's an excellent program to kind of listen in on in terms of just some of those helpful tips that you might find useful. It will include information on meditation as well. And also, I do want you to all remember that although this is a one-hour workshop, that we, as we conclude the program today, I don't want anyone to think that you're alone. I want you to know that you're part of the cancer care community of support. And what that means is that we are simply a telephone call or a mouse click away from our website. And I want you to take advantage of our services. Um, and to use them and um, to not, I know there are moments when everybody feels alone and I want you to now know that you have a place to call and that can be of help to you. I want to thank you all for your participation today and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop and you may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day.